So welcome to another show. Uh, we've got Tony Kitchens on today, who's an author, an entrepreneur, and a speaker as well. So welcome to today's show, Tony. Thank you, Duvon. Appreciate you having me and look forward to sharing some time with your audience today. Uh, absolutely. So obviously, you're an author and you're a speaker, and that's probably more recent. But you've been an entrepreneur for about 32 years now. Can you delve into that a little, little bit and and, and talk about your story as to how you've got to where you've got today. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually in college and as a young kid, probably seven or eight years old, my uncle who lived in Puerto Rico would come visit us in Chicago. And when he was there, I was just this little boy sitting at the kitchen table with my uncle Ben, my mom and dad, and they would be talking about his travels and the people he met traveling around the world trying to close business deals, the ups and downs, and drinking coffee sitting out in, in Italy. And I just found that it was amazing. This was, of course, before the internet. And I was just absolutely amazed at that lifestyle. And I said, I want to be able to do that when I get older. And that was the first time that I remember actually speaking to an entrepreneur face-to-face. -face. was my uncle who started back then. Fast forward to college. I was in college studying computer science at the time, and I was bored out of my mind. I was just terribly bored because the path that our instructors were leading us down was to become programmers, sitting in the basement somewhere, drinking Mountain Dew, not having much interaction with other human beings for hours and hours. And I said, that's not what I want to do. And I became extremely sad about what my prospects would be. And I said, that's not the life I want to live. And I decided to leave college. And when I left, I went and interned for a small tech company in Chicago. Got discovered by some guys over at IBM because we were working on a project with them. And one of the people who was my mentor even today, George Gower, said, hey, you should be on the sales side, not on the technical side, because that's where the opportunities for growth are. And I started my business at that point back in 1991, started a tech company and had that company for 29 years. So, I mean, I think that the key parts of that story for me are, and let's just back backpedal slightly. There's generally two ways that you can become successful. The first is to, by being inspired. So someone inspired you, something that you've heard has inspired you. Or it's desperation. You're in a, in a position of desperation and you have to do something in order to get out. And it sounds to me like you've been inspired by obviously family members and seeing the lifestyle and wanting that success. And as you said, you've had a, a, a successful IT business now for a number of years. What, what was the mentality then to actually decide to drop out of education and start this business was it looking at the positives that can come from things was it just saying that i will burn the bridges and start this what what was the thought process behind going for going for it basically yeah that was a great question I, you know people think about business and they think about people describe it as taking a leap you're just jumping off of a cliff and that's not the case of course it's a leap to believe you can go from where you are today to being a business owner but it's not this physical, scary jump that you just fall off the side of a mountain and break your neck. It's not that. It's more of a leap of faith. As far as I was concerned, I didn't think about failure. I didn't think about what could go wrong. 
I focused on the opportunity that was in front of me. And I was more concerned with, wow, I can do this instead of all of the reasons why it could have failed. I That never came across my mind because the thing that I knew is I was good from a technical standpoint. I knew that. I didn't know how to get customers. So I had to ask, hey, George, can you help me help me figure this out? And he actually helped me get my first several customers because he was in a marketing position. He was a marketing rep. And he helped me with that. So that's something I had to learn from another person. It wasn't scary at all because I'm starting out as a young man. And I didn't have any overhead. I was working from home. There was nothing to fail about when you really look at it. The scary thing looking back was if I would have really tried to scale, if that was an idea that I had from day one, who knows where I would be today? Because when I started out, I wasn't thinking about having this huge, massive company. I was thinking about, hey, I really want to do this tech work. And I know I can do it. I know I can get some customers. I'll probably give me a couple of cool cars along the way. You know, I'll be able to pay bills. I was really thinking about that. But the scary thing is if I would have started out the business as I would start out today, I would have had a plan to scale to get to a certain revenue to minimize the overhead that I had. So it would have been much different. But again, back at that time, there was no internet. So the only thing you had was who was in front of you and who you can talk to. And I didn't know anyone who scaled a business at that point. That wasn't even a concept in my mind. I knew business owners, but they had modest sized firms. They weren't these massive firms. So it wasn't really a leap. It was more of, let me go out and prove what I know I can do. And every day, Javon, was exciting. It wasn't scary. It was exciting. Well, I mean, a couple of things you said there that I think are, are, are really true, and it's something that I've spoken about on other shows. If you go into a business looking at the positives that can happen, think of all the money I'm going to make, think of all of the people I can help serve, think of the travel, etc. you're more likely to start the business versus if you were to look at the negative side, as you said, oh, what if I lost money? What if this happened? You're unlikely to start the business. So what you're saying then is by looking at the positives, at least you start the business. doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be successful, but at least you make the inroads to actually start the business. And you're now fast forwarding to where you are today saying, well, what if I'd have done this instead? What if I'd done that? And life's very easy in hindsight, isn't it? And at the time, you know, you would have dealt the, the, the cards that you were dealt. The question I have then would be that if you're having those thoughts of scaling, could you not scale now? Yeah, absolutely. And I closed that company in 2019. But here's the thing. So I still have two companies that I run today. And one of them I recently started, as a matter of fact, since the last time you and I spoke. And I have a five-year plan for that business. That's it. It's going to live five years and then it's either going to die a slow death by me, putting it out of its misery, or I'm going to sell it. See, the idea is within those five years to scale massively. I know how to do that now. Compared to 32 years ago when I started my tech firm, it wasn't even a concept. I'd never heard the word or the phrase scale a business. So yes, I'm very deliberate today 
with the hindsight and the past experience. But here's the thing I think for the entrepreneurs to understand is there's so much information now. I know there's a lot of noise as well on the internet, but there's so many, so much information and so many people you can reach out to who have run and started and had successful businesses that aren't trying to sell you anything. They're just other business owners as well going through life and dealing with the ups and downs that all of us can find a mentor, someone who can help to say, okay, here's where I am in my phase, in my part of the journey. Can you give me perspective? What were you dealing with at this time? What are some of the pitfalls to avoid? And that's extremely important. Yeah, I mean, that's great, isn't it? That, that you've had a previous business, it's been successful, but there are things that you would improve upon starting a new business. And you've now started a new business, as you said, in between when we spoke last and when we spoke today. And you've tried to rectify those mistakes, not necessarily mistakes, but missed opportunities, let's say, within your next endeavor. And I think that's a great lesson for, for everyone listening that whatever you do in life, whether it goes well, badly or indifferently. And it's I think it was uh, Thomas Edison said, he's, even though he didn't create the light bulb, it's one of his phrases is I've not found three. Uh, I, I, I've basically had 3,000 ways to build a light bulb that didn't work, and now I can make a, make it work next time. Is that a a real important mindset to have as an entrepreneur, to say, well, even if things go badly, have the mindset of, at least I've learned something? Yeah, absolutely, and that is a great quote. He said, I've, I've discovered 10,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. <laughs> which is amazing because most people look at that and say 10,000. I don't want to try 10,000 times, you know, because today people don't have the attention span to stick with anything. The thing that I would say is that hindsight is extremely important, but here, here's the thing, Jermaine, you don't have to go 30 years of, of trial and error to now learn something. Again, you can accelerate your growth. You can accelerate your success in business by working with consultants, to working with coaches, to having a mentor, because those people will help you leapfrog past some of the things that if you didn't have any guidance, you're going to go through them, but you don't have to go through them and be a good business person, right? When you teach a kid how to ride a bike, he doesn't have to fall and, and break his leg in order to be a good bike rider. You teach them a trick. If you're going to fall, let the bike fall. Make sure you stand up. That's not cheating. That's showing them how to get through and accelerate how to become a better bike rider faster. He still has to pedal. He still has to balance. Same thing in business. So we don't have to go through 20, 30 years of mistakes and challenges. We just need to get with someone who knows how to do it. But the thing that I would say is, is that, yes, everything that I've learned in these 32 years, I bring it to bear in the consulting work, what I do, that I do with small businesses, right? So I'm able to see firsthand some of the things that they're doing to say, uh, let me give you an example of how I did that exact same thing and how it didn't end well. Again, you're able to help people. And the only way I'm able to have that wisdom and knowledge and experience is because I went through it. There are so many lessons that you and I and the audience members can learn from the things that we go through that, and to be honest with you, 
some of the things are more valuable if we go through them as opposed to someone else telling us about it. Right. Mm -hmm. How many times have you heard as a kid, don't put your hand on the stove. You hear that, but you don't really know what the impact is until you feel it. But when you feel it, you will never do it again. And it's the same way in life with the lessons. Sometimes we just have to learn the hard way. Yeah, it's definitely a balance, though, isn't it, between you know jumping off a precipice and dying splat, and being told don't jump off that off 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 the edge of the mountain, as, as you spoke spoke about earlier. And it's really getting that fine balance. But I agree. I think lessons learned personally resonate much more deeply than those that are being told by others. But then also you need to learn from the mistakes of others. So it's about it's about getting that balance, isn't it? And um, in terms of your mindset, then so your mindset before starting this business 30 odd years ago and your mentality when you were running the business, how was that? How did that change over, over the course of time? Now that's a really, really good question. And the reason it's a really good, it was a lot of reasons, a really good question, but it's a really good question because of this. When people look to start a business and this is the mindset, the first thing they say is, well, there are so many people doing that. I won't be successful. Well, if there are a lot of people already doing it, that means that there's a proof of concept. That means that there are clients out there willing to pay for this service or product. So that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. So now jump in and figure out how to deliver that same product or solution, but in a different way. We put your own twist on it. That's one thing. The second thing I think from a mindset standpoint is, again, there are a million reasons why businesses fail. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen to you because it happens to someone else. There are so many little intricate details that are involved in life and in business. And you don't know all of the details of why someone was successful or why they failed. So just make, to, make the assumption that you can go out and make the next Tesla is a bad assumption. Right. Or to go out and think that you're going to fail like Silicon Valley Bank is a bad assumption. So what we have to do is understand that we're unique. Our situations are unique in a lot of ways. And we have to take the chance. We have to take that leap. So in my mind, again, if I'm starting a firm, I'm starting a company, I'm not looking at the reasons why it could fail. That's just noise. That's just a distraction. What I'm looking at is, who can I learn from? Who can I model myself after to be a good salesperson, to be a good manager, operator of this business? Who can I look to that has really grown and scaled a company? Even though the products and solutions may be different, there are some fundamentals that you can never get away from. And if you focus on those from some of the successful people that you see around you in books, in interviews, you'll notice that there is a mindset, that there is a mentality, that these people don't give up. Every time they fail, it's just like Edison. It's one time more that they've learned how not to do it. But now there are a million ways that they can shift and try new things. So people who are successful, the only difference is they are relentless about continuing to move forward absolutely relentless and they just don't give up but they don't continue to do the exact same things that led them to that failure they make a shift 
And for the audience, if you don't know how to make that shift, again, there are people who can help you with that. You have to be vulnerable enough to say, I don't know something. Because at that moment and in that moment, you will free yourself up to be able to to and open yourself up to be able to, to get help. Yeah, there's a couple of phrases that come to mind is that if you do the same thing, expecting different results, it's madness. I think that's one that really sums up what, what you just said. Um, and the other thing that I think is important, and if we go back to, to the start of, of, of this part, you said that you, you looked at the fact that many other people did the business and it was a proof of concept, which I think is a really good phrase. And again, I think that shows that you're looking at the positives as opposed to the negatives instead of saying, well, there's so much competition, it's it's saturated, it's probably not going to work. It's just how you're looking at things. It's not what happens. It's how you're viewing things that's important that helps you to, to move forward. And, and as you said, if you look at any sports people, any warriors, any um, successful businessmen, they all think in this same optimistic way and they are willing to do what they need to. Okay, if I need to do this, I need to speak to this person. Okay, I will do that. Okay, I need to speak to this person. I'm, I'm willing to do that rather than making excuses about things. So just moving on then. So we've talked about the fact that you had a business, you've you've started a new business as well. You've had men, you, you've you've benefited from experience, you've benefited from a change in mindset. But there is something that's that we talked about last time, and this is this recurring nightmare that you keep having. Do you just want to talk about that and, and and then we'll come on to talk about why I think this is a really important part of your mentality, actually. Yeah, and I've heard other people, I've heard other successful people talk about how they're haunted in the middle of the night by dreams. Mine is pretty simple. It's 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 evolved though. And the, the it started out with me being in high school, to make a long story short, Spanish class, I was the third person back. In, in the seats and the teacher was sitting right in front of me three seats up at her desk and she walks up to the first person to collect homework and they reach up pass her the homework she gets she gets the homework she walks to the next person same thing they give her the homework she collects it she comes over to me and my head is down and as she comes to me she says Anthony where's your work and I look up at her with these terrified eyes and I don't have my homework. And it was the worst feeling on earth because I couldn't make an excuse. I was a hundred percent accountable and responsible in that moment. And someone, someone was holding me responsible. There was a consequence. There was the look on her face. There was the awe from everybody else in class that I did not do what I needed to do. And that dream has evolved. It's come over the years in different forms. But ultimately, what it tells me is, is I have a fear of not being prepared enough. So when the time comes, I can deliver. So how does that manifest itself in my life? I'm overprepared. Always. I'm always early for meetings. If I need to write something that's five pages, I'll do 10 pages, right? It's if we're going to go walk a mile, I'll walk two miles. It's the fail to prepare, prepare to fail analogy, yeah. really. I will not be caught off guard and not do everything in my 
will and everything within my power, my control to be prepared for situations. I know that's physically impossible, but I will do everything that I need to do to succeed. And that's what it really is. And it drives me. It drives me beyond belief where, again, I don't look at failure as an option because I don't want to stand in front of somebody. And I think that person is really me. It wasn't a teacher. And I think that's why that dream evolved, that nightmare evolved, because it wasn't her anymore. It was it turned into another form. But I think ultimately it's me at the end of my life looking back at myself or looking at my future self and not having achieved everything that I wanted to achieve because I didn't work hard enough. Not that I was physically incapable of it. That's different. But because I didn't put the work in. And me letting myself down is terrifying. Absolutely. So again, when you look at your audience and the audience is listening to this, we don't compete against other people because that will go away. You compete against yourself. You compete against that person 20, 30 years from now that you're going to look at. And you look at that person in the eyes and you're going to say, I did everything humanly possible to master the gifts and talents I was given, to develop myself and to be a better person. So that's what the competition is. Same thing in business. You're not competing against the next company. You're just making a better product or solution and beating yourself every time. You're improving yeah. on yourselves. It, I think it depends on the standards you're setting as well. If you're setting super high standards, you're going to meet those standards. If you're setting low standards, you're going to you're going to achieve low standards. And it, there's something that comes to mind about what Gary Vaynerchuk said. He said, to have the biggest building in town, you can either build the biggest building in town or you can tear down all the other buildings and make yours the biggest building in town. Now, the first one is where success comes from, not ripping everyone else's businesses open, but actually making yours the biggest and strongest business. And as I said, it comes down to the standards you're going to set. In terms of the the position of being or underperforming, let's say, where you've not reached your full potential. We spoke last time, didn't we, about Miles Monroe and a couple of phrases. One is the, the bed analogy he gives that when you're on your deathbed, you don't want the, all of the, the the gifts that you had been given to be misused, basically, and the gods coming around to you saying, look, we gave you this because we felt you could use it. And you're saying, actually, I didn't use it. There's another phrase, though, isn't there, that you're quite... Um, uh, an advocate for for Miles Monroe. Can you, yeah, and that you know is, what that is. Yeah, the other one that I really like is there are a lot of there are a lot of dreams in the cemetery, right? Which means that a lot of people had dreams and ideas and goals, and they die with them. Les Brown, who 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 was a big fan of Miles Monroe, said it this way. He said that most people die around the age of 26. They just don't get buried in their 60s or 70s. So when do we stop dreaming? Or more importantly, when do we take our dreams and bury them? And that's the thing that both Miles and Les are alluding to, which is at some point we give up. We give up on the things that we want to do and, and, and the places we want to visit. Here's the thing, Devon. It's there are so many things that I want to continue to do in life. 
and the thing that I would say to your audience is you have to have a target. If you're shooting, for example, you don't know if you're a good shot if you don't have a target you're aiming for. Because you need to walk down range. You need to look at that target and see if you hit it or not. And if you hit it, is it close to the center? If not, go back and try again. If it's not on target at all, you really need to practice. But if you don't have a target there to evaluate and help you grade yourself, you have no clue how you're performing. And that's the thing that I think that audience members should be comfortable with. When I started out, I my goal wasn't to become a philanthropist and help people around the world. That wasn't my goal. My goal wasn't to do a lot of the things that I did in business. My goal was to provide a financial stability, financial freedom for myself and for my family and those around me. I wanted to travel. I wanted to drive a nice car. I wanted to get the house that I wanted to have. Those were targets. And you have to be comfortable as humans to have targets. We are human beings and there are physical things that we want to obtain in life, right? It, it is more comfortable flying first class than in the last seat at the back of the plane. There's nothing wrong with that. Because if that's what it takes for you to work harder in your business and work harder in your life because you want to sit at the front so you can have a full meal and you want to have a reclining seat, that's okay. There's this notion going around that we should not want things. We should not want a bigger house or a bigger car, this, that, and the other. We absolutely should, because if you think about it, Javon, the people are telling you that you shouldn't care about those things are all the ones that have them. That's true. They've just gotten to a point where they understand that life will continue to happen. You'll still have ups and downs in life, but you don't see any of them getting rid of their houses and cars and living in a tiny home. Except yeah. Elon. Yeah. Right. So what that tells me is, is it's okay to have a target when you're starting out, which is a physical asset that you want to acquire because that's going to give you a, 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 determination of where you are and how successful you've become. But more important than that, you will evolve into a different type of person though. So those things you'll continue to get the cars and get the houses and travel and everything else, maybe fly private, but you'll also realize that you have the ability now to help other people. Yeah. And you'll do that. So you will evolve. Yeah. I think that's important as well that, everyone has a different view of what success means to them. For some people, they want a Dambles-Aryan lifestyle. For others, they just want a nice job with a loving family who they can spend more time with. So for some people, they don't want the first class, but they, they have something equivalent that's different that they um, they need to be aiming at, as you've said, um, in, in terms of their life. So I think it's really important to understand what drives you and what you're, and the reason why you are doing what you're doing. Is it to leave a legacy? Is it just for monetary purposes? Is it to travel the world? Is it to help serve others? Is it so you can provide for you for your little kids? What is it? And I think that's going to help you to to give yourself the drive and determination that you need. You obviously mentioned a a, a real ambition or goal to provide financial stability for yourself and your family, and I think that's a great, fantastic goal that's helped you to to, to achieve what you need to achieve. Another goal that you've obviously had is to write that book behind you. The Gift of Pain, isn't it? And it, it, is that an ambigram by any chance? It is. It is, yeah. 
because it looks the same both both ways around. So can you talk a little bit about the book, what what it's about, and some of the lessons that you've that you've got within the book as well? Yeah, absolutely. This was right when I closed my company in 2019, my my tech firm, and it was it was a very tough decision to make, but it was something I I, I didn't have a choice. I had to do it. And it was just difficult. This was right before COVID. And imagine doing something for 29 years, and then all of a sudden, you're not doing it anymore. The shift in your mind, the shift in your body, your daily activities, all of that changes. And I was just at this point, and I had to figure out, Javon, how I was going to get through this time. So I sat down, just opened the laptop, opened Microsoft Word, and just started typing had no goal of writing a book. What I was really doing is just journaling. And I wanted to go back and think about the times that I had challenges and how I got through those. And I would just type and type and type. And 110,000 words later, I thought to myself, this is information that other people need to, to hear. Then I started to formulate it into chapters and then it became a book. And when I gave it to the editor, she cut out 100 pages. And I still landed with 353 pages. That's a lot of talking, right? <laughs> That's a lot of ideas. That's a big book. And the thing is, is it really helped me with that part of my life. So I wrote it just as much for myself as it is now available for other people to look at. And that book is, it's, it's I'm very transparent as a person. I mean, I talk about, you know, a lot of different challenges in there and the range of emotions that come along with them. And especially for men, that's something that we need to hear because the world will have us believe that we shouldn't be affected by certain things. But that's what the book started as. And The Gift of Pain, which is the title and, and the ambigram, just like you just mentioned, if you look at the cover, the word pain at the bottom is in blue. And I designed it that way because if you take your eye and you focus on the pain and you just flip that book upside down and look at that word in blue, it becomes gift. So in life, if we change our perspective on what was painful, or what is painful, 100% of the time, you're going to see growth. You'll see resilience. You'll see determination. You'll see strength in yourself. Now, it may take years to get past that pain, or it may take days or months. But every bit of pain that I've experienced, the loss of family members, loss of a business, whatever it is, I can look back and pick out one or two or 10 things that I'm blessed with and that have been gifts for me, even though in the in the time that they were happening, I never imagined that I would get anything positive out of those situations. Yeah. That that's for me is one of the crucial things about life is that if we look at stories all the time, don't we? And we see the start the position and the end position of this person started with nothing and, and they our ended up with this. And during that time frame, they had the up and down spiral. And people love that story, don't they? Because they say, Well, he's gone through all this and he's he's ended up with, with the end result. What they don't try and understand is it took me a lot of thinking to try and empathise in this situation and say, well, how do you think that person felt, let's say mid-story, at the bottom of that that trench? 
how do you feel that they felt at that point? And what what you need to understand is that sometimes that is important to happen to develop the next part of the story. And as you said, sometimes we can't see the blessings that are going to come from the negative, but we need to continue to go through that. And a, a phrase I heard earlier today, actually, that, that has just come to mind is that if you're stuck in hell, keep moving. Why, do, why would you want to stay still? Absolutely. It's riding a bike. If you stop riding your bike, you'll fall off. You have to keep moving to, to, to continue to move through life. So what are the key lessons from the book that you feel that people should be aware of? Resilience. I think that if we run away from everything that's difficult in life, we're never going to know how tough we really are. And most people are way stronger than they ever imagined. The problem is, is they don't allow themselves to be tested. That's the thing. So when we run from difficult situations, what we're really missing is the transformation that's going to happen inside of us. When we run from relationships, we don't want to commit. Or we run from starting that business because it seems too tough and it's just easier and more comfortable to work for someone else. You never know how strong you are and how well you would have done. And here's the fear. <clears throat> the fear is you get to the end of the road or you get to a later point in life and you, you're not as mobile. You're a little bit older. You don't have the energy. Maybe you don't have the resources at that point. And now you look back and start to have regret for not starting the business. Or you have regret for not loving 100% and just holding back 50%, whatever that is. And now you're at a place where you physically can't do those things. And you can't outlive that regret. It's going to stay with you forever. And the, the way I tell people is, you start out as a young person have dreams, having dreams. But if you don't follow those dreams, dreams are nothing more than ideas that are inside of you, things that your, your soul wants to accomplish, whatever that is. If you do not follow those dreams and at least give them the respect that they deserve, they will become nightmares later in life. And you can completely control whether your dreams become your nightmare or they remain your dreams. And the thing that I would tell you is I don't want to be on on that that deathbed with regrets of any kind. Yeah. Any kind. So what do I do today? Every dream that I have inside of me, I make sure I take a stab at it, even if it doesn't work out, because then there's no regret later in life. Even if it didn't work out, you still have to try. Yeah. But you don't know if you're going to succeed if you don't try. So for everybody listening, that's what you have to do. Is you have to try. You have to, to take the steps moving forward and not be so afraid of the consequences. Here's the thing. As, as much tragedy as I've seen in my life and as you have and all of us have had, with there are a few exceptions, I think, but most of the time, the fear that your mind puts into you about how things would turn out it is never quite that bad. No, no, we 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 overplay 
the issues that can arise. And coming on to regret for a minute, I'm 100% in your camp there. The, the regret of doing something and making a mistake is better than the regret of not doing something. And I tr- again, I, tr- I contemplated on this for a while and, and tried to understand exactly why that is. And I think it's down to lack of clarity as well. Because if you do something and the mistakes happen, you know what happened, you know, you know the results, good, bad or indifferent, you know what happened. Whereas if you don't do something, it's all of those questions. What if I became a millionaire and then I did this and then I did this? What if I moved here? What if this happened? What if this happened? And it's the mind can't deal with that. And we as individuals want to at least try and fulfil our potential. And when it comes to ideas, and I, I love that analogy with regards to ideas, I'm a strong believer that we get ideas that we can achieve. You'll have different ideas to me. I won't have an idea of becoming a, a professional sprinter because it's impossible for me to achieve that. But I have ideas that are within my sort of remit of achievement. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, as you well, you, you sort of already said it, didn't you, in terms of your soul? Um, do you believe that ideas, and this is a bit of a philosophical question then, do you believe that we have a deterministic nature for some of our goals in life or is it just free will or is it a combination of both in there? It's both. Absolutely, it's both. There are things that will nag you until you address them. And here's the thing. I have, I have friends that are older, 60s and 70s, and they'll listen to this podcast and they'll, and they'll know who I'm talking about. And one of them has a very successful architectural firm. And this is what he's been trained to do. Has done some amazing work. And when we would sit down, me and my wife and him and his wife, we would sit down and I say, what is it that you really want to do? If you, if you can just stop what you're doing today and do something else, he said, I would paint. I would just take my easel out on the beach and just paint. But I can't because I have to pay bills. That feeling that he has inside of him is never going to go away because that's what his heart wants to do. The mind and the body are going with the architectural work because as humans, we have to pay the bills. You got to pay the lights and the water bills and the mortgage. But the heart, that feeling that you have inside, that's divine, period. That's something your heart wants to do. And the thing is, you can easily shift careers and professions and make more money doing something in a different profession. But that dream in your heart is not going to go away. And most of the time, the dreams in your heart have nothing to do with finance either. Yeah, It's typically a state of being. Yeah, You want to get to a state of being where you are a different version of who you were. So it's both. It's it's the from a philosophical standpoint, it's it's the divine and then it is your free will because the free will we can't over or underestimate that. And the free will is what do you as a human being who walks the earth, who has expenses, who has friends, who has responsibilities, how do you want to live? And the thing that I would say is this, there's no nobility in poverty. And that's a line from a famous movie called Wall Street back in the day, Michael Douglas. There is no nobility, meaning that struggling and just getting by, it's not something that any of us should aspire to. 
whether it's financially or whether it's even in relationships. It's staying in a bad relationship just because that's something that you're used to. You deserve better than that, right? If you want to go out and, and eat at the nice restaurants and you want to go out and you want to travel and visit really cool states and countries, it's okay for you to want to do that. It's not okay for you to say, well, that's not for me. That's for somebody else yeah. because they've worked hard in life. I haven't. Yeah. So we, as, as our free will allows us, we have to go out and make the best for ourselves because that's part of feeding our soul. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the determinism. I think that we have some level of determination based on our genetics and obviously what we are meant to do on this earth. But also, so I'll give you an example. I actually spoke to a gentleman about this a couple of weeks ago. He said he believes in 100% determinism. And my argument was, though, was then, okay, so someone who died of a heroin overdose, are you telling me that that was meant to happen to them? Because for me, it's a case of choices. We have two voices in our head. We can go and get the cash out from the cash point to go to the drug dealer, or no, we can go back home and read a book. Okay, we can actually go to the drug dealer with the money. We can actually buy it or no, say, actually, no, we don't want it. And there are these decisions over and over again. And if we go with the wrong decision for long enough, we're going to end up in a bad place. If we go with the right decision over a period of time, we're going to end up in the right place. And that's where I think the mentality, the mindset, the discipline, the focus, the goal setting, all of that comes in to give ourselves a bit of a stronger um, uh we we increase the likelihood of free will giving us a slight advantage. Basically, that's 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 my thoughts. The other point that you made, I think, is great as well, is that we need to fulfil the soul. And instead of having a dead end, a job that we don't like just to pay the bills, look at the richest people in the world. They started that business, or do that sport, or play that instrument, or sing that song based on their love for that as opposed to looking at the financial rewards and once they've actually built that love and they want to practice and they have an actual gift for it the money that just comes in there's a, a quote in the bible isn't there that um your gift will make room for you or bring you uh, um, um among great men and i think that's that's a, a really great point that if you have a gift you should be looking to pursue it are you a advocate for that Oh, yeah. I mean, that's 100 percent correct. And what you find, what I found in business was we got really good at what we were doing. And it becomes a machine. It's 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 a series of processes. And the better you are at anything, the more fruit you're going to produce. Put it put it to you like this. When I lived in Puerto Rico. We when we first moved there, we planted mango trees in back in our garden and backyard. And it rained, of course, you don't even have to sprinkle. It rained a lot. It's an island. And we just made sure that we nurtured those trees. We took care of them. And after this huge hurricane that happened in Puerto Rico, one of those trees was just knocked down. It was uprooted. It was just laying on its side. We had to hire a bulldozer to come in and, and lift this tree back up. And I remember standing there looking at this tree, and I'm thinking... It never produced any fruit. And now it's never going to produce any fruit. Never. But we'll keep it. We didn't want to kill it. We'll keep it just as a shade tree. Nice tree. 
And probably within a couple of months after that, this tree that we planted about seven, eight years before just started kicking out mangoes like crazy. I mean, we didn't even notice that mangoes were growing on the tree. There were so many mangoes all on the ground that we were able to give them away. So when you go from fertilizing your soul, just like that tree, it's still growing inside of you. You don't necessarily see the fruit unless you take care of the soil. So how do we fertilize and nurture our souls? We have to give our souls what it needs, which is what is our meaning in life? What is it that we enjoy? Spending time with other people, the human connection. And the fruit is going to be the relationships. That's what we get out of that. The relationships with your friends and family members are all that you have at the end of the day. Yeah. And the better nurture your soul, the better your relationships are going to be because you're going to be more natural. You're going to be more uh, you know, empathetic toward people. And that's the gift. That's where wealth comes in. So what you're saying is that instead of focusing on the yield of that tree, focus on the process and the love, and you will then get that delayed payment in the future. And we see this all the time. People don't want to give up that that job because that pays you money at the end of every month, 2000 3000 4000 If they worked on something for a period of 12 months, there'd be no payment, but then there may be a £200,000 payment in a few years' time. And that's what people don't necessarily want to 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 put themselves through and and you're right i think passions choose us we have passions we don't choose them necessarily but we have that feeling of this is what i need to do this is what i need to do and this is the path that i need to take and it just feels feels right so on that basis you're obviously an author a speaker what are the next steps for you then and how can people reach out to you i don't know that my story will, will ever end Really, because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, a business owner is just someone who owns a business, right? They sell a product or service. An entrepreneur is someone who always sees opportunities. So I'm always open to new ways of learning. I'm open to new ways of doing business. I'm open to new ways of helping people. So I don't know that my story ever ends until it's over. And I would, today I would say, I'm not starting another business. But two years from now, I'm probably going to start another business because I'll see another need. So at this particular point, I am doing a lot of consulting work with small businesses, one to 25 people. I love that space, just like we just talked about, where you can actually help people and really accelerate their growth, not just as a business itself, but the individual. Because if you can help the individual, that would translate into their business. But I'm open to connecting with people. They can reach me at TonyRKitchens.com. I'm extremely accessible. That's probably what makes me unique as an entrepreneur. That I want to connect with people. I like the human interaction. I like to speak with people. So if they reach out to me, my phone number is there. They can call, email. It's no problem. Because all of us are in this together. That's the reality. All of us. You've never been on an airplane by yourself. Yeah. There are a lot of people looking to go where you're looking to go. And that's love part it. of the journey. Love it. And 
the thing is, I think with you mentioned opportunities a couple of times there, we need to start seeing problems as opportunities, don't we? And I've got a little bit of a joke about that, actually, that I don't have a drinking problem. I have a drinking opportunity. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. But, but yeah, and I think the other thing that you said is, is it's true as well, that we are the sum of the moving parts. A business is the sum of all the individuals. So if you can improve the individuals, that collectively will improve the business. And think about yourself as a business. If you can improve your communication skills, your goal setting ability, your physical standpoint, your mentality, your um, negotiation skills, for example, your discipline, they're the sum of moving parts of you as an individual, which increases your value, your stock price, which then makes you uh, increase your skill sets, which makes you bring in more money, which makes you then happier, which then makes you want to give more. And the cycle continues as opposed to being on the reverse and reverse end of that. Um so where can people get your book? Is that on the Tony Kitchen's website as well, or is that on Amazon, or or where is that exactly? It's available on Amazon.com, but you can definitely get it on TonyRKitchens.com. Click the shop button. It's there in audio version. It's there in ebook version and paperback. Fantastic. So is there anything that you feel that we've not discussed that you want to get across in the way of a message, advice, or, or something else? Yeah, here's the thing that I would close with is each of us has a dream. Even the people who say, well, I don't really have dreams and goals. Yes, you do. There is a dream that we all have inside. And and the important thing to know is, is that our dreams are always going to intersect with someone else's dreams. So when I was, when I had this tech company, had a lot of employees, for example, there was little boys who dreamed about working at a tech company. And we wound up hiring them. We didn't know that that was their dream. We just knew that they were looking for employment. And I just remember sitting in my office when I would fly to Chicago to be in the office. And these young people, you know, 19, 20, 25 years old would just huddle up in my office and I'm trying to do work. And they're just sitting around on the floor on the couch with their laptops. And we weren't having a meeting we just wanted to be around each other and their dreams as young people to work at a tech company, my dream of owning a business, other people's dreams are in the office. They all collided in this little space. So whatever dreams people have today, there's someone else's dreams who's dependent on you reaching your dreams and your goals. And if you remember that now, if you don't want to do it for yourself, now realize you have the responsibility for others as well. Absolutely love that. I didn't really think of that in in that vein, really, that our dream is also the dream of other people, maybe in a different vein. So, yeah, absolutely love it. Um, So thanks so very much for being a guest, Tony. You've given some gems of wisdom there. Obviously, people shout out, reach out, get the book as well. Um, And as I said, thanks for being a valued guest. Thank you, Javon. Appreciate it. And I wish much success to all the audience members, whatever they decide to do in life. Thank you.